didn't see it, don't need to. Hello, my name is Sarah Miller, and I am here with my co-host, Joshua Clover. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. We are here with a new episode of Didn't See It, Don't Need To, and we are talking about bodies, bodies, bodies. So the way that we do the show is we have three we have three questions that we have every week. We've been using the same ones for a while. And then we also have uh, two uh, custom bespoke questions that we ask each other after that. We have, we have a Twitter contest uh, going on. I'll be, I'll be sending out a tweet about it. Uh, to, we'll come up with a new question or new questions. Uh, anyway, so um, hopefully you'll see that. And please uh, let us know if there are questions that you'd like to have us replace our regular questions with. And uh, without further ado, I will now turn over uh, the microphone to my co-host, Joshua, where he will give his opening comments on bodies bodies, bodies. Thank you. Hello, Sarah. Hello, everyone. Happy to be back here on Didn't See It, Don't Need To, the podcast where we don't see movies on your behalf. Think of it as a public service. I feel like I got to go a step beyond for this special episode of Didn't See It, Don't Need To, Don't Need To Read the Reviews. And here's what I mean. I did actually see a movie in a movie theater recently. It was the movie Nope which we will, of course, not be reviewing because seen it. S- spoiler, the uh, alien UFO thing is the internet. Okay, sorry. Uh, um, but when we went to see it, there was a trailer for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And it had the trailer had been on screen for about 25 seconds when I turned to the person I was with and said, oh, it's uh, Euphoria, but a slasher movie. And... Lo and behold, the New York Times reviewed the movie and it says the review is uh, called Euphoria with Knives. So I realize it's not the greatest achievement in the world to get on the same level as the New York Times. No one should be amazed by that. But I do feel like it has put me to the don't even need to the review, need to read the reviews stage of the game. And, you know, given that this podcast in some ways is entirely a labor saving exercise, I've gone even a step further in degrees in the labor. I'm going to talk about the movie anyway. One of the reasons it gets compared to Euphoria, I believe, is because it really focuses on the deep entanglement of the youngs with social media, uh, with virtualization, with iPhones, and so on and so forth. And I happen to agree, this is like an interesting representational problem. If you've watched anything in the last several years, you know that one of the fundamental questions they're puzzling with is like, how do we deal with representing to the audience when people are texting to each other and what the content of, do we show it on the screen? How should it look? Do we have overvoice? And so on, right? It is an interesting representational question how to handle immersion in virtualization, virtual communication, social media, and so on. So in that sense, I get the comparison, and moreover, it's got, you know, like, attractive young people. That said, I actually don't think that's what Euphoria the Show, which I'm now sort of reviewing alongside Bodies, 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 I'm not sure that's what Euphoria the Show is about, I said early on in watching the show to a friend of mine who was also watching it, it's a show about teenagers crying, which I sort of stand by. There's a lot of footage of 
young, attractive people in tears. And I actually want to take that seriously, not the, the sort of the tragic dimension or the sadness, but I think that euphoria at its best is actually about a far more interesting question than like, what does it mean to be obsessively folded into a world where social media is producing reality so that you lose track of some sort of external reality and are addicted to social media. And so I don't think it's about that. I think that's a side effect or an artifact. I think euphoria at its best asks the fairly interesting, compelling question, which is, do people born in this era of sort of technology and social relations young people, right, people under 20, Zoomers, whatever you want to call it, do they have a different set of affects? Is their emotional experience and relationship to each other and to the world actually meaningfully different from Gen X or Boomers or even Millennials or whatever, right? And I think that's an interesting question. I'm not sure I know the answer, but the question is interesting. Does this question come up in bodies, bodies, bodies? Boy, from reading the reviews and from the trailer, it sure doesn't look that way. It sure looks to me like it takes that facile, like, ha ha, the youngs and their iPhones, what if they couldn't use them? And they like went into a panic and that somehow is like being in the panic of there being a killer on the loose and there's sort of an allegory that's not, ha ha, which strikes me as maybe fun, but pretty trivial and, and missing the potentially really interesting topic or question and I regret that on the part of this movie that I haven't seen. Sarah Miller, let's hear your review. So this is a movie about a bunch of rich people who gather at a house to ride out a hurricane uh, and I thought that was kind of funny that that there was something scarier in this that, than a hurricane. Like the idea that they would be uh, during this era of like natural, natural in quotes, disasters, that the hurricane would just be the backdrop of this, uh, of this, you know, murderous, uh, event or events. So what happens is they go to this house and they play this game where, you know, it's like that winking game that you used to play when you were a kid, like around a table, I think it was called murder, except that this is someone actually dies. And, there are two reasons why I will not be seeing this movie. Oh, by the way, thank you very much for your analysis. I did not think of either of those things, any of the, any, either of those things, those two things. I did not think, of, <laughs> I did not think of any of the things that you said. I, I've seen Euphoria a few times. I like it. I just haven't, I haven't put in the time. So I, I but I thought that was like right on the money. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Just wanted to, briefly, I just want to say why I won't be seeing this movie. One is like, this seems, this is to me is like also the genre of movies about like bad rich people that bad things happen to them. And that is fun because we, we because rich people are bad. Um, I don't have any trouble like saying that rich people are bad. I just like this genre of that and like um, this movie and um, like um, White Lotus and then that movie that had that show that has uh, Nicole Kidman in it where she plays a guru. Um, I think it's called like Nine Perfect Strangers. I feel like we're not sort of ready to stop just having all TV and movies be about rich people. So now they're just about how rich people are terrible and we're just like repeating like rich people are terrible, rich people are terrible as some sort of like political gesture that's like at this point has become a little like, you know, 
okay, yeah, rich people are terrible, thanks. Um, have I seen a lot of rich people are terrible shows? Sure. Do I need to see another one? Probably not, and not this one. Uh, the other reason I would not be seeing this movie is I do not like things that are supposed to be funny about people dying. Like I, when I was a child, I had this book about, my family had this book about a boa constructor that ate a little girl. And it really, really upsets me, uh, like jokes about death. So I, I just, the crassness of it, like some people love that. They think it's hilarious. Uh, it really, really upsets me um, in, a, in a visceral kind of way. I feel like I've mentioned that on the show before. So um, that is why I will not be seeing this, this movie. It's just two genres that I do not, uh, the, the, the rich people, uh, bad rich people genre, and the like funny death thing with like lots of jokes about like cruel jokes about like hurting people, sort of jokes about torturing people that I just, uh, that I, I don't enjoy. I think that's great. I really appreciate that. Uh, uh, I think you're really on the nerves on a couple things. One, you're exactly right. Like, well, we can't stop having movies about rich people because, uh, because our set designers want to design sets for rich people and like want to show rich or whatever. Uh, so we're going to do it in a way that shows that we're sort of knowing and it's a disavowal. But also, you know, this movie's a couple of different genres, but one of them sort of is on the edge of being like the teen drama, teen comedy, teen dramedy, whatever, which is a genre I really love and have actually written about and I'm fascinated by. And I think sort of the ur text uh, the great example, Fast Times Rougemont High, is one of my favorite movies of all time. But what those movies have, almost unfailingly, is a really interesting, explicit moment of class analysis, right? Where, where like, there's the new student, the transfer student, the fresh person, whatever, who the the older, wiser student is sort of showing the ropes, and in the cafeteria or the uh, you know or the playground or whatever, points out the various social groups, like, oh, there's the there's the mean girls, right? Or, there, or there's the burners, or there's the, you know. And I don't think this movie is going to have that interesting, uh, reflective, reflexive moment. So I, I really, I, th- I think your, your reasons, even more than usual, are legit. And with that, I'm going to move us into the question-asking phase, which we love. As you mentioned, we have three questions we use every week, although we're leaving it to you, our listeners, to help us transform what those three questions are because we're getting a little bored. Uh, We're open to changing one or two of them. So there'll be a Twitter poll for that, but we're going to use our conventional questions for now. Here's the first. Long-time listeners will recognize it. Possibly they've come to cherish it. Who can say? Sarah Miller, if you were to see this movie, what would you be dreading? Well, so I I did see the New York Times headline and I, I'm I'm slightly I mean you are my friend and maybe I'm being too generous, but I am impressed that you foresaw the New York Times headline. That is the only review I read and I read it in like two seconds because I, I just got a job and now I listen I listen to everything. Like today I was just like looked for like radio, you know, reviews of this movie so I could listen to them on the way to the place where I work out. So, you know, killing two birds with one stone because I'm a career lady now. So anyway, I listened to this horrible podcast and they were talking about whether or not um, Maria Bakalova, who plays one of, there's a couple, uh, Sophie at B that are sort of at the center of this, 
Maria Bakalova is this actress that I've never heard of before because I'm 52 years old, but apparently people have heard of her. And people uh, are excited about her. Anyway, they were talking about whether she was good in the movie or not. And um, their conversation was... I, th- I don't think talking about whether someone's good in a movie or not is necessarily a bad subject for conversation, but their conversation was incredibly banal. And I am sorry that I heard it. And... I would be dreading trying to figure out whether she was good or not just because I can't get this conversation out of my head. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a, probably a better version of my, of my lesser answer, which is maybe I'm wrong to conflate these. I feel like what I would be dreading is this movie is a lose-lose for me, which is to say either it has a moment where it takes itself really seriously, and like one of the ways that could be is like people try to act Right, if that has a moment where it takes itself really seriously, I'd be dreading that. Or it's like we're literally never going to take this seriously. It's gonna, it's gonna be a ha ha, we get it joke the whole time, and that I would also be dreading. So, double like either way the movie goes, I'm, I'm dreading it. Uh, let's press on ahead to flip the script. What would you be looking forward to? Well, Lee Pace is in this movie, and Lee Pace is amazing and also pete davidson is in this movie and i don't really have an opinion about pete davidson because i've barely ever seen him in anything because i don't watch saturday night live and i want to see um kim kardashian's ex-boyfriend because i have followed their thing religiously i i i just want to see him in action and i would hope that they would have a scene together that might be really exciting for me um, that that's it. Yeah, same, same same page. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on the Pete Davidson question because it comes up later for me. But uh, interested to see Lee Pace again. I feel like I'm often out of step in standards of handsomeness, but I certainly find him a very appealing actor. I really liked him on that television show Halt and Catch Fire. So you know, I I think I'd be interested to see uh, what he was up to. Third and final of our set questions. Uh, and then we're going to move into the bespoke questions and, 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 and flip our order where I, I think I get to answer first and Sarah, Sarah asked. But the third of the preset questions, the prefix questions, if you will, what would have to happen for you to see this movie? Well, I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately, but the truth is, is I probably will be seeing this movie because I think that the person that I live with at some point is going to force me to see this movie. So... I hope I don't get fired by our viewers, but I'll gonna I'm gonna do my damnedest because I did do this episode, but I kind of can see you know I I wasn't born yesterday, so. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the same answer. This is rare for me. I rarely I'm like yeah I'll probably see this movie and and in fact, I think it's true that so far I have not seen at a later date any of the movies that we didn't see on behalf of our massive listenership. But I could imagine it happening in this case. So when we saw Nope, to go back to that, mysteriously at some point about 90 minutes in, it's a 123-minute movie, about 90 minutes in, the theater lights came on. You know, the lights came up for like a minute, and then they went off. It was no big deal, actually. This was in a, you know, a, a small theater in Northern California that we drove an hour and a half to get to because that's how serious we are about wow. Jordan Peele. And... Uh, yeah. But because of the theater lights coming up for a minute max, when we left the theater, the very sweet projectionist person 
gave us free passes to see another movie there. He was like, he was like, yeah, that was too bad. You had to go through that. And, and like, here's free. So we had free passes to go back to that theater. And, you know, we could try and hold out until fall to see something else. Or, or we might head back up there and see bodies, bodies, bodies. So that's the story of how it's going to happen. Let us move into our final two bespoke questions. I'm turning it over to you as asker Sarah Miller. Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned Halt and Catch Fire, a TV show that we both enjoyed. Um, and I uh, would like to, my first bespoke question um, comes from Halt and Catch Fire, a show on which Lee Pace, uh, in which Lee Pace played Joe. So what I want to know is who was your favorite pairing? In So we have Joe, Cameron, Gordon, and Donna. One of the things I really liked about the show is that the friendships were given sort of equal weight. And I may have even said this on this podcast, but, you know, that's okay. The friendships were kind of given equal weight to the romantic partnerships. And so everyone had a very, like, these very profound friendships, but then there were also these romantic partnerships. What was your favorite pairing, either friendship or romantic? Like, the relationship that was the most profound for you between Joe Cameron Gordon and Donna. Wow. Great question, Sarah Miller. I feel like this requires an entire separate podcast to to deal with this. And and moreover, I feel like it's hard to answer because of the what changes over the course of different seasons. I'm going to stick with the first season as a as a classicist and say uh the pairing of of you know Donna and Joe. Uh, who really don't get along very well in the first season. And in later seasons, after after Gordon and Donna split up, uh, the dynamic changes between Donna and Joe for sure. Uh, but I don't want to give too much away to our, our massive listenership who might not have seen the show and want to watch it at some point. But, uh, I mean, a show of really excellent acting performances. Loved Carrie Bechet, I believe is her name, who who played Donna. And so... That dynamic, I thought, was really great. Uh, excellent question. Thank you very much. My question is not as good. I'm not ashamed to admit it. But here's my question for you uh, about the, the movie at hand. If this movie was called Souls, 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 what would it be about? Um, it would be about some boomers who want to um, play a a soul concert but they're like white boomers um and they think it'd be really cool to do it in a graveyard because they think <clears throat> graveyards are cool <laughs> and they and they don't even you know what they think that they're playing soul music but it's actually like really bad blues so they're like let's do it they can't find a space to do it and then they're like let's do it in the graveyard and then they do it there and the people start getting murdered i <laughs> could not love it more <laughs> I am I am ready for my final bespoke question. Okay, so as I said earlier, I don't really love movies that are supposed to be funny and scary at the same time because I don't find anything scary funny because I'm a little baby. But at the same time, you know, like Scream, I would say... Now, I would say Scream to, strikes me as like the quintessential like funny, scary movie. And that came out in like... 1996 or 2001 or something I can't remember at any rate it seems like something being funny and scary sort of depends on like there being some sort of room for things to be funny and I feel like like nothing is funny right now and my question is just do you agree 
Yeah. So I I don't agree. I hope I hope I hope I hope you'll you'll forgive me. I agree no, that timing is odd, but not in the same way. I gotta have a sidebar here. I've mentioned this before, right? Which in some ways bodies, 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 like my whole life leads up to talking about this movie because on the one hand, it's a, a sort of teen comedramedy, which as I mentioned earlier, I've always been really interested in and written about and thought about a lot. On the other hand, it's a slasher movie, which, you know, my my, my mother, who's a, among other things a film scholar, probably has written the most authoritative, widely read book on slasher movies. So my whole life has been leading up to this this moment. And Scream, as it happens, although it doesn't mention it explicitly, as some other movies do, is in some regards based on my mom's book, right? Because my mom is like a, mom's book is a diagnosis of like, here are the, the standard tropes, cliches, automatic features of a slasher movie. And they sort of go through them one by one and make jokes about how, how automatic and cliched they are. Uh, so... I didn't. I, I couldn't enjoy it for that reason. But in general, I think I am more sympathetic to scary, funny movies. Evil Dead is a good example. I'm not even sure that movie is that scary, but I really enjoy the whole Evil Dead uh, series. And the, I did too. Weirdly, Bruce, Bruce Campbell movies in general. Bruce Campbell's kind of, kind of, kind of great. And in the present, like I guess, yeah. So to get to get to the heart of your question. This may just be a, a a desire, like an escape fantasy, in, in in some sense. But I'm resistant to the to versions of the claim that are going to look well. Now we're finally post irony, for example, right? Like things are now so awful, like you can't even be ironic. Like to be ironic about it is absurd. It's just it's just openly awful. It's too serious. So we had that moment after nine eleven, right? Like you know, it was like it wasn't the first time in my life, nor was it the last. But it was a famous moment of like. David Foster Wallace and various other famous people writing essays saying like now po- after this after the Twin Towers we c- like we can no longer have irony and and my response to that not to you but to that was like fuck you um, a this has been this is this is boring I've heard this a million times before something bad happens and everyone's suddenly like we're post irony and b like I think there's all kinds of ways to try and deal with the horrific. Uh, and I want to try and be open to them. And I would transfer that logic, although I'm very sympathetic to what you're saying, I would transfer that logic to the present. I think that the kind of humor that involves trivializing and diminishing, I'm not sympathetic to, and I'm with you on that, but I absolutely will hold open the possibility, or I want to hold open the possibility that the most awful, irrevocably catastrophic things can be met with something other than despair. We're never going to get away from, get away from despair. I grant that. Uh, but I don't think I, that makes me want to say that's all we can have. So I want to be open to the black comedy of the present, whatever, whatever that looks like, uh, including, I would say, to keep on coming back to the same, like revolving around the same thing, Nope was not my favorite movie of all time, but it's a movie I've seen most recently in a theater. It's on my mind. And it's a black comedy, right, in, in a couple of different ways. And there, but there's moments in it that are just real funny, particularly, like, the way Daniel Kaluuya says, nope. Um, and, and it's echoes of E-40's song uh, that, that, that depends on that, on, on that phrase, and so on. So I do want to hold open the possibility of black comedy. This movie doesn't promise me, it doesn't offer to me any hope that it's going to be of a kind I would find interesting or enjoyable or satisfying. I hope that's an okay answer. I have a last bespoke question for you that will be, if I'm not mistaken, the concluding exchange of this episode, 
We've made it through another one. I celebrate us both. I celebrate our listeners even more for making it through this far. Here's my question to you. It is, on the one hand, not an easy question, but on the other, one that I know plays to your expertise. If you're going to turn a novel, any novel, although I encourage you not to refer to the novels you referred to before, particularly ones that involve sleds going down hills, if you're going to turn any novel into a film with Pete Davidson as lead, knowing what limited amount you know, what novel and what character would he play? I think I would do the man in the gray flannel suit and I would uh, make it like a comedy. Uh, As I remember, the man in the gray flannel suit is just like, oh, poor me, I have to go to work every day kind of movie. Uh, I mean, not that that's like, not good, but I, it's just, I think it's about like a man that lives in the suburbs that goes to work all the time. That's my I understanding, think. but it's a secondhand understanding. Yeah. Well, I did read it, but anyway, let's assume that that's what that movie's about. And it's very dour. And I would, I think Pete Davidson would be great. Maybe playing, maybe playing it like just totally deadpan and straight, but you know what? I have never seen Pete Davidson do anything except for like, I've never seen Pete Davidson outside of page six, honestly. So I don't know, you know, um, if he would be good in this, but I think that, I think that he might be. And I think he would look good in a gray flannel suit. And I think he would look good in an elevator going up to the 50th floor of, uh, the Rockefeller Plaza. Or it's, I think maybe it only has 48 floors, but anyway, I, that's, that's my answer. I feel like that's in the spirit of the podcast, right? Didn't see it, don't need to. Like casting someone in a novel you're not really sure you've read, who, an, an actress you've never seen, that to me is precisely the spirit of this podcast. And Yay. I celebrate and salute you for bringing it home. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you to our audience. And thank you also to our editor, Erica Heilman. And thank you to Chuck Lindo, who does the music. And thank you to Rebecca Ackerman, who does the graphics. And um, we will, uh, you can find me at uh, this podcast and other things at therealsaramiller.substack.com. Please subscribe if you can. That's really all I have to say. I will see you soon, Joshua. We will, we will do this again soon. I'm looking forward to it. I want to warn you, I'm planning to illegally torrent uh, bullet train. So we have to take that off the list. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's got, it's got Zazie Beats in it. And like, I'm so addicted uh, to Atlanta that when Atlanta's not on, I, I, you know, I'll get my Zazie yeah. Beats fixed, you know, and I'll watch anyone who's been on Atlanta, like Hugh Stansfield, like, it's got a couple different, you know, like, like Atlanta actors on it, not just not just Ozzy Beats, oh. right? Um, and uh, uh, so I'm probably going to see that movie. That's going to have to go off our list, but I'm sure we'll find a movie to not see. I'm sure we will. There's always movies to not see. Thank you and good night. Thank you and good night to all. See you next time.